Hi, I'm Nick Appleyard, CEO of TriStar Gold. Uh, TriStar is a junior development company with the Castelo de Sonhos project in Pará State, Brazil. Uh, we completed a pre-feasibility study 18 months ago, and we are now 18 months into about approximately two-year permitting cycle, and we think we're getting close to the end of that, where we will have a permitted 1.4 million ounce reserve gold project in Brazil. Nick, thank you very much for the introduction. Good to see you again. It's been a long time. Um, you yep. weren't on our radar screen much last year, but it was a pretty um, rough old time in the market. Were you uh, deliberately keeping your head down? Yes, last year, because we started that sort of two-year permitting cycle, we knew that if we spoke to investors and said, oh, look, you know, two years from now, we think we're going to get this permit. It's just too far away, I think, too far over the horizon for most people. So we decided to keep our heads down, uh, keep the treasury stronger and not, not spend the money on IR where we, we didn't think it would be well spent. And now we're just poking your head back up because things have been going really well. Well, you've missed it. Um, I don't know if you've missed it, but the, the market's been crap. Um, it's yeah, been... <laughs> I was watching it. <laughs> um, yeah, your market capitalization has suffered. The share price is um, down as well. Um, so really we're in the situation now where it feels as if the gold price is waking up. Um, some companies are moving, some are not. And really that's that's about uh, catalysts. And uh, you mentioned about um, Treasury. We'll come on to that in the, in, in the short term. But um, traditionally after a PFS, companies move into feasibility. Um, but you, you led with permitting. Can you just... Uh, Tell me how your permitting fits into the kind of the, the next le round of engineering studies. Yeah, I mean, we, we sort of figured that, as we said, the permitting was going to be about a two-year process. Yeah, we think we can finish, you know, maybe a year to get our bankable feasibility study ready because it's a very simple project. Um, yeah, so when we finished the PFS, we, it didn't seem like a bankable feasibility study on its own would add a, a lot of value, would, would be a big de-risk because we had the scoping study with good numbers, the PFS with good numbers, you put up BFS with good numbers, it, it's sort of the same thing, just a high level of surety. But the big de-risking that everyone wanted to see was the permits, you know, get that permit and then you've got a very a very special project and very few of them at that scale and you know, with, a, with a permit in a good jurisdiction. And when you talk about permits, are you able to, in this two-year process, are you looking for actual mine permits or permit the, 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 the last permits that you'll need to uh, do a mine or do you need to kind of present your final engineering plan in the form of a feasibility study before you get the, 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 the last set of ticks? Yeah, no, the, the, what we're going for now is what they call the LP in Brazil. It's the prior license, but it's really the approval of the EIA, which says, yeah, this mine works in this location and you know, new, your EIA has become approved. Um, subsequent to this, yes, then you need the installation license, which is more of a, an engineering license just to construct. It's a much simpler one to get. This is the tough one. And that installation license would just be done in parallel with the with the you know the final part of the bankable feasibility study. And what's the mood like on these PLs uh, at the moment? Has it changed with the change of government? Uh, is it a it, are they getting re, um, rebuffed at the moment? Uh, have you run into headwinds, or do you expect? I, I know one can never say never, but um, do you expect this to kind of run as a process through for the next six months? Currently, yeah, we do. It's, um, yeah, G Mining are in construction just up the road from us. I mean, Horizonte Minerals have been getting their permits pretty well, you know, in the same state from the same authorities. So, you know, the, the authorities there are running through these projects pretty well. Um, you know, it's never as quick as you want it to be, and it's always a slightly frustrating process, but that's a, a global phenomenon, not a Brazil one. 
So yeah, so we've you know we've been waiting. This yeah, a lot of the past time has been waiting for the the state authority SEMAS and the NM to assign their multidisciplinary team to us. To okay, now you're on the you're on the block, so to speak, and they're all working on us. And that's happened now. So we sort of feel like you know they do it in sequence of parallel. They don't do parts of it. They're all assigned to us, and they're working on us now. So we would expect it to go through. I mean, there's always something that can possibly come out of left field, but we haven't seen it yet, so we're, we're, we're very confident. Do you think the market will see that as a value catalyst? I mean, do you think the market is it, um, aware that th- these permits are important? I think they do, yeah, because there are very few permanent projects, and the projects that have been acquired in M&A activity in Brazil, um, namely Tocanozinho and, and Amarillo's project, um, Posse Mine, were both permitted. And, and, you know, and they attracted big premiums and, and good values. So, yeah, I think it does. Uh, you know, it'll take the retail market a little while to realize that. But the, you know, the corporates, the potential acquirers, potential partners for us to build this are definitely watching it, definitely looking at these permits. Is, is that what you uh, see as the most likely route? I mean, because, I, of course, there's the market capitalization versus the capex figures. Do you see a kind of a, a partner as the most, whether it's 100% or some proportion, do you see that as the most likely development route for uh, TriStar? Yeah, 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 I do. I've been through mine startups, I think, three times now in my career, and I probably, and I feel like I've got a better um, feeling for how difficult and how risky that is to do as a first-time startup company. And, um, you know, my job is to, you know, analyze these risks and make sure I give the shareholders the best benefit that I can. So yeah, we'd be prepared to take it forward if we can. But you know, some people, other companies have got teams in place, have done it before, can do it with a lot lower risk factor than we can, and um, that would probably be a better return for our shareholders. So I, I think that's the most likely scenario. But you know, we've just hired a COO recently, who's experienced in operations in these type of deposits, and yeah, you know, we're prepared to do it ourselves. But I don't think it's that likely. So when you talk about partners. Uh and obviously, the the project is well defined in terms of resource and, to a degree, engineering. Uh, have you had inbound? I mean, are, are, are people uh, are you on the radar screen of industry? Have you got are you kind of give, giving out CAs like confetti, like um, many other companies do? Um, when we're not giving out CAs uh, a lot, I mean, we've offered we've got a couple in place. Um, in more in general, we've had we have had inbounds from very interesting corporations, but that's just. High-level chats at, at this stage, we don't want to engage with anybody. I mean, if you know, basically, if we we are looking for either an acquisition or a transaction, we want it to be a premium for a, a much higher share price than we are now. I don't really want them to have the um, you know a fifteen share, cent share price in their mind when they're thinking of value of the asset. So we're we're just keeping them informed in that right now. You also earlier you mentioned that the feasibility study is a twelve-month process, and you've got six months left. Uh, ostensibly or potentially on the on the permitting, uh, where have you where you've got to into thinking for doing the feasibility study? You know, where are you on that particular journey? There's some infill drilling to do to, to upgrade the indicated resources to reserves, or at least the first maybe three years of the mine, something like that. So we've planned out that drill program. We've got had some bid packages out to the different drilling companies to assess that. Um, then we picked ourselves up off the floor again when we saw the prices and we're looking at them <laughs> because drilling's gone up more than everything else. Um, and yeah, and, and we're basically been interviewing engineering houses to do that work. 
And, um, yeah, that's really where we're at. We sort of got it all planned out and we're ready to sort of fire the starting gun when we when we decide to do so. Is that um, budget-related, treasury-related? What, what's the cash position? And, and, and would yeah. you want to get funded for the 12-month feasibility process and a little bit beyond? Yeah, so right now we've got $4 million in the bank, which is yeah, obviously plenty to get through this year and doing the permitting, get that permit in place and, and get into next year. If we want to commit to the feasibility study, especially the infill drilling, we're going to need to raise a little bit more at some point, and it's just really a matter of when we do that. You know, that money seems to be currently available to us um, through a couple of different options, but we would like to get a bit closer to the permit first and see if we can unlock more value before we pull the trigger on that as well. Okay, so so here we are in April. So kind of uh, potentially the permit should come through this year, uh, Q3, Q4. Yeah, that's what we're hoping for, and then we would, and you know, hope that we can get the infill drilling started, you know, in Q3 as well this year, have it completed by Q1 next year, and then you know, so sometime mid next year, have the feasibility study complete, um, or at least close to complete, and we can get our installation license. You know. And if you're like me, you're a gold bull and not expecting the gold price, gold price to come back. I don't consider myself a gold bull. I consider myself in competition with other junior developers, um, regardless of gold price. Um, and we've just got to present the best possible project. And, you know, like when I present to investors, I've been at a conference here in Scottsdale this weekend, and we have the classic sort of gold price variation on your study curve. And I always guide people to the lower end of it. I'm looking, even if gold drops to $1,000 an ounce, this might all keep producing, keep making money. You know, the last thing you want to do is invest in a company which has a, you know, some pretty good returns and gold drops 10% and they've got to shut the mine down because it can no longer make money. You want to make sure it can survive the cycles. And so my job is to present the best company regardless of gold price. Well, of course, I do want it to go up. <laughs> I, I said I'm a gold bull, but um, what I mean by that is when I look across the, the, the economic spectrum of what's happened or the financial um, background of the context of um, what's happening on global economies, it makes me think that there's many good reasons why the gold price wouldn't go down and several reasons why the good gold price would go up or at least stay strong around $2,000 an ounce or higher. So um, that for me is kind of a degree of asymmetry. I, I take your point about wanting to be a robust or having a project that's robust at a lower gold price and that that's crucial. Um, but the the market is stubbornly refusing to support and reward um, junior companies. It's almost as if you've got to deliver... Um, you've got to deliver some kind of catalysts to get that traction. Um, what's the news flow going to look like up until the point of permitting? Yeah, that's a good question. Like we said, so last year we just had very limited news and very limited marketing. So, you know, we've just hired an IR company now to help us with this news flow and help, or help us get the story out because we're going to have more news flow. So really the, the main catalyst for us moving forward now um, there's going to be a site visit from the authorities, which is currently scheduled for mid-May. Um, following that, at, at that site visit, they will give us the exact date they're supposed to and location of our town hall meetings where we present to the public. Uh, we're anticipating that being August sometime. Um, so they'll be the main catalyst. You know, we will announce those activities when they've, when they've been completed and done. And then after the August meeting will be, you know, really it's the feedback from that and the site visit and the EIA, which is being assessed now, that, that comes into the LP um, approval. So that they're the big catalysts and um, that, that's what we're going to be talking to and telling the world about 
um, yeah, what we're doing, and obviously smaller stuff along the way, but they're the biggies. I saw in your presentation that you've you've uh, done some geophysics and you've done some mathematical, uh, uh, some machine learning uh, mapping. Can you just tell me kind of what that involved? Yeah, with um, with the Paleoplasto, it's a sedimentary pile, so it's quite difficult geologically just to look at the rocks, the different conglomerate horizons, because we've got multiple conglomerate horizons, and recognize which one is which, especially when the drill holes are maybe 100 meters apart. You know, you can look at a conglomerate one and conglomerate another, and they look very similar. And um, we were sort of struggling with with ways of identifying the different packages, and you can do it, but it takes a sedimentologist and, and quite a skilled, experienced one. What we um, found working with AI is we can do multi-element geochemistry, and the different packages have different geochemical signatures. But it's not like you just go, "Oh, this one's high in copper, this one's high in this." It's a package of like ten or twelve minerals which all behave in a certain way differently in each one, and looking at the geochem analysis yourself you could never pick it but the ai has been able to cluster them together into it's really three main groups through the the gold bearing horizon so that we can actually identify where we are in the deposit and then that fed straight into our geological model and then obviously our resource modeling and our reserve modeling so it, it's been pretty good because it means it takes away that that human input is all, all out of a wet lab which identifies which horizons are which and has that changed your geological model in the sense that of, of mine scheduling or kind of has it uh, tightened up your wireframes um uh, uh, will it feed through to changes in the um in the economics it's well it, this is this was in in the pfs so this was into the economics what it did is it it gave us a, a greater degree of accuracy on our orientations for maximum continuity so I think it does. That does feed straight through to economics and mine planning. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because locally, the, locally the maximum continuity can vary based on drainages or you know, sort of small folds and undulations, and, and those are picked up in the geochemistry that we we couldn't pick up visually. And um, the conglomerates are they kind of laterally extensive, or is it kind of um, are, are there elements of sandbar and um, you know kind of quite uh, alluvial channels, quite uh, um, linear features. There are, um, and the way that the way we've sort of taught the machine learning to work is we wanted mappable packages. So it's given us a package which will have the sandstone and the channels for one sort of time horizon model as, as one very laterally extensive to the point, I mean, it, it's completely all the way across the plateau. So it's actually given us a 3D model across eight to 10 kilometers and down, you know, sub, uh, uh, dip, you know, down dip below where we can see. So it's given us an, an incredible tool for both exploration as well as development. Well, that was the next question going to be about exploration. In terms of the new targets, is that something that would uh, happen later in the in the cycle of the asset once you're up in production, or is that something that you're looking to bring earlier on budgets of um, uh, you know if, if you've got the cash available? I mean, if we had the cash available, for sure, we would be drilling constantly because there's so many targets out there. Um, yeah, as a smaller company where cash is is critical, it, it's a little hard to spend money now on something which might get mined in 15 years from now. So, yeah, we'll probably focus on the permits, focus on the BFS, you know. And then when that gets done, you know, we'll yeah, and we'll always, you know, if we're doing a 25, 30,000 meter infill drill program, we're always going to sign a few meters and have a couple of little wild, wild wildcat holes where the geos think there might be something exciting. And if they hit, that's great. If they don't, it, it doesn't really change anything. But it'll be, I think it'll be after the BFS, 
um, and things quieten down after that, where we get back into exploration properly. You said that the uh, the economics of the scoping, or the PEA and the PFS, were robust. Um, do you expect much of a scope change uh, from PFS to bankable? bankable feasibility study but is it is it more just tightening up the numbers it's just tightening up the numbers yeah we don't really expect i mean it would be nice to see a little bit of change i mean the, the biggest impact obviously is going to be um you know the sort of the two sides of the equation the inflation against the gold price you know we ran at 1550 i haven't actually looked recently at what a three-year trailing because that's the sort of the one the benchmarks people like to see but i would imagine it's 1700 1800 dollars now um i think that would counteract more than counteract inflation and um so i yeah but scope wise uh, we'll have the same plans same mining sort of rate i would imagine you know there'll always be small tweaks and changes but nothing drastic and in terms of um talking about those kind of inflationary inputs uh energy uh are you hydro or are you diesel or grid we're grid power we will be you know we've got a we've got to construct about a 25 kilometer line I and mean, we're already on grid power but obviously not big enough to run a mill um, but we've got about a 25k power line to build that connects into the grid and and then it just becomes a matter of negotiating with the local hydro plants and transmission rates as to the sort of the blended ultimate rate you pay you know and we got pretty good guidance on that and I think beforehand they were expecting that we could get 70 or 80 percent of our pent through power through hydro contracts okay and um what's the kind of going rate in Brazil at the moment or, or, or is that too much detail no I mean well I mean I think we were at eight or nine cents a kilowatt hour as a, as a sort of a blended estimate of where we would be. Yeah. Um, I've seen other companies recently publish numbers. Uh, I don't want to quote them because I might get them wrong, but you know, in the public arena, just looking at what other people are doing, and that still seems to be pretty close. I mean, I think they're actually slightly lower than us there. But it all depends on... Yeah. yeah well, that's, that's, that's a crucial input. That's a, um, yep. you know, a, a massive, massive input. Good. Um, and just just for just as a reminder, um, what were the kind of the, the basic metrics in terms of tons and grade and um, annual production and just just some some, some of the highlight yeah. metrics from the pre-feasibility study? Yeah, so the pre-feasibility study was a, a 1.4 million ounce reserve um, at a grade of 1.1 grams per ton. Average production is 120,000 ounces a year over 11 years. Uh, the bit that was interesting to me is for the first six years, we were at least 150,000 ounces a year, a slightly higher grade, 1.3 grams a tonne. And, you know, and I think when we touched on the expiration earlier, the, the focus of the expiration would be to extend that grade material, you know, look, chase a bit more 1.3, you know, and we think we can do that as well to extend that higher production rate. Um, so, yeah, it's a 10,000 tonne a day mill, uh, very simple, 98% metallurgical recovery, which is the highest I've ever seen in my career. And, um, yeah, it's a very, very simple project. You know, open pit, CIL, um, traditional tailings dam, yeah, every, um, everything. With a flotation simple. stage or, or not just um, just straight through? No, I mean, there is, an, there is an interesting alternative where you could do um, a gravity concentrate, a flotation concentrate, combine the two and throw all the tails away um, and just grab and just cyanide the two concentrates. But it still doesn't make as much money as just a straight CIL. You know, maybe with a couple of what we call gravity policemen thrown along the way to make sure no nuggets get thrown out the back of the mill. But that, that gives you a very good re return and a very simple project and a very safe project. Yeah, a very low technical risk, execution risk. Yeah, yeah. Good. Nick, well, thank you very much for the update. Uh, good luck with the year ahead. 
um, and all power to the Brazilian uh, permitting authorities. No, so far so good. So far they're very engaged and we, we couldn't be happier. We Our team are doing really well. So, you know, it's almost a daily basis to contact with them now. And um, it's a very friendly contact, which is really good. And I think we've got to work on that and, and it'll all go well.